to the 13th episode of the 39A podcast. This is Devina Malvia from Project 39A. Project 39A is based at National Law University, Delhi, and we carry out extensive research work in the realm of criminal justice. The topic of today's discussion is the use of facial recognition technology in the criminal justice system. We have with us Philip Mayer from the American Civil Liberties Union in Michigan. Philip is involved in litigation in a range of areas such as criminal justice reform, racial justice and prisoners rights. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. The use of facial recognition technology by public authorities has been in the news for several years now. The technology uses computer algorithms to pick out specific or distinctive details about a person's face from an image which is then compared to images stored in a database. A facial recognition system may be used to identify an unknown person or verify the identity of a known person. The use of such technology by governments across the world has raised multiple concerns about the civil liberties of individuals. In India, facial recognition technology is being used by various authorities which raises questions about its impact on the fundamental rights of citizens. The Internet Freedom Foundation's Project Panoptic aims to bring about the much needed transparency in the deployment and use of facial recognition technology. It has played a vital role in creating awareness about the rapid and ever expansive use of this technology in India. As per the project panoptic tracker of the number of facial recognition technology systems as of today there are 79 systems installed in the country by different authorities while we know that such technology is being used by investigating authorities the extent of its use and its impact on the investigative process remains unclear due to the opaqueness which surrounds its use The focus of today's podcast is on how facial recognition technology aids the police as an investigative tool and its impact on the investigation process as well as trial. Understanding this is essential to recognize the dangers of using this technology in the criminal justice system. We will also briefly discuss the use of this technology as a surveillance tool, its impact on privacy and other rights. United States the use of facial recognition technology in the case of Robert Williams and the narratives around that brought to light the very real impact of this technology on lives of people and their families In January 2020 Robert Williams was arrested from his house as his wife and children looked on Williams a black man was arrested for stealing watches at a store During his questioning he was shown a picture of a suspect to which Williams replied that he was not the man in the picture. He was told that the computer identified him as the man in the picture. Subsequently ACLU filed a lawsuit on behalf of Robert Williams against his unlawful arrest on the basis of facial recognition technology. So Philip can you tell us more about the questions which this case raised about the use of such technology as an investigative tool? And to add to that Williams was aware of the use of this technology in his case which is rare in fact one of the major concerns with the use of facial recognition technology is that the accused and his attorney may not even be aware that it has been used so what challenges does that raise sure so i think first it's helpful to understand 
how facial recognition technology works. And, and essentially the, the way it works is that uh, uh, yeah, there's a map made of the image of a face um, that essentially sort of creates a data set for, for a face. And then there's, there's a few ways that, that facial recognition technology can be deployed. Um, one way is, is sort of a one-to-one match. This is if, for example, you have facial recognition on your iPhone, you, know, you hold the phone up to your face and it checks whether or not you are the person identified as the owner. But the way it's used more often in investigation is a one-to-many search. And in that case, what happens is that investigators will take a, a probe image, someone they want to identify, a, a suspect in a crime, for example, and they will compare it to a database of thousands or millions of faces. So here in Michigan, uh, the state in the United States where I live, um, everybody who gets a driver's license or a state-issued ID is placed into that database. Um, And every time the police have a suspect they want to search for, essentially every citizen who has gotten an ID is, is in the lineup as a potential suspect in that crime. So what happened in Mr. Williams' case is, as you described, there was a, a theft um, of some watches at a, at a designer store in downtown Detroit, and the police ran a facial recognition uh, check. That check identified Mr. Williams as, one, as, as a potential investigative lead. Um, and what police were supposed to do with that was treat it as an investigative lead only. Uh, the investigation that they conducted was frankly a joke. Uh, it consisted of putting Mr. Williams' photo along with five other photos on a sheet of paper and showing it to a security guard at the, at the watch store. The security guard in question had not even witnessed the theft uh, all that security guard did was review the, the the video footage of the theft, and and said, "Sure, Mr. Williams looks like the right person." And and based on that, a warrant was issued. Mr. Williams was arrested. He was held overnight in a in a stinking and overcrowded jail cell. Uh, he had to go to court to defend his case. He had to hire a lawyer. Um, and, and all of this because a, a computer, in, in the words of the police themselves. <clears throat> the computer got it wrong. Um, there's there's several issues and, and complications that uh, arise out of this. Um, w- one of them is that facial recognition technology uh, is uh, is much much worse at identifying people of color as it is at identifying white faces. Um, the, the algorithms uh, that are used to, to map faces and, and, and create matches were trained using white faces. So they're more effective at identifying white males than they are at identifying any other group. So errors like the ones that applied to Mr. Williams are unfortunately extremely common and predictable, and it's a known risk. Um, other problems, uh, you, you alluded to this, is that in, in Mr. Williams' case, when the police were interrogating him, it became obvious to them that, that they had the wrong person. Um, and they actually said to him, uh, the computer must have got it wrong. But that's really a rare exception. It's extremely 
uncommon for people to find out that facial recognition technology has been used in their case. What would be far more common is for facial recognition to identify a suspect than for the police to conduct an investigation, which might very well be an incomplete or rigged investigation like the one that uh, ultimately identified Mr. Williams. And, and that suspect has no way to know that the reason that they were in the sights of the police in the first place is because a flawed computer misidentified them. Uh, and, and that's a that's a real problem that uh, that you're not able to identify. And you know, if if you doubt whether or not uh, you know once a computer has identified someone, whether the police might then sort of conduct an investigation designed to confirm that suspicion rather than actually you know see whether or not the computer is right. You know, I invite everybody to think about how how we react when when the computer tells us something how we react when the weather report on our on our phone doesn't look like the weather outside exactly um you know i, I myself have frequently taken a wrong turn uh when driving because google maps told me to turn somewhere even when i knew uh that that, that wasn't the right turn from my own daily experience and you know that's essentially what happens when we let the the computer lead the investigation in, instead of human beings right now, to take that forward, there are a lot of reports about facial recognition technology being used as an investigative lead, and the investigative authorities maintain that it is merely an investigating tool, and it's not the sole basis of convicting anyone. So what is your response to this, and how much do you think does the use of facial recognition technology impact the investigation process? Yeah, you know... That's what they said it was in Robert Williams' case as well. Uh, the, the sheet of paper that he was shown during his interrogation that identified him as the suspect actually said on the top of it, this match is to be used as an investigative lead only. But as I described, the investigation that the police subsequently conducted was a completely inadequate and inappropriate investigation. They put his photo along with five other men's on a sheet of paper and showed it to someone who wasn't even an eyewitness. And if you think about what that means, you know, the computer had identified Mr. Williams as the suspect. So probably that means he looked something like the suspect. And so, you know, in an array of six photos, sure, he was likely the one who looked most like the suspect. So when they showed this photo array to a witness, that witness, I'm not suggesting that, you know, she was lying or anything, but he just looked the most like the suspect she'd seen in the video footage. Unfortunately, that type of investigation is precisely what's going to occur when we let the computers lead the way in, in an investigation. And, and that's what happened here. You know, and I think another thing that's really important to understand is that when facial recognition is most accurate is in very sort of staged photographs. So a straight on photograph from your head down to your you know shoulders in a very predictable light in a sort of straight on approach. And that's very rarely going to be the image that one actually gets uh, when conducting an investigation. So for example, in Robert Williams' case, 
the photo that was fed into the computer was an overhead security camera shot. It was looking down towards the suspect. It was somewhat blurry. The suspect had on a hat, which messes up the use of facial recognition technology as well. And despite all of that, uh, the police used that flawed image because it's so easy for them to do. And when you let the technology be a crutch, um, you know, the predictable result is false arrests, just like happened to Mr. Williams. That's an interesting point that you mentioned that images used in the investigating process may not even be of a pristine quality, and that will have an impact on the accuracy of the result. So now let's move on to the issues of bias which arise with facial recognition technology. A serious concern noted uh, with facial recognition technology is the issue of racial bias. And this is something that you've mentioned earlier as well. And there is a popular misconception that once technology is brought in, somehow it eliminates the scope of bias. So can you tell us more about the issues of racial and other forms of bias which do creep into technology? Yeah, I th- thanks for that question. I, I think there's really two ways of thinking about the, the racial bias problem when it comes to facial recognition technology or, or other forms of artificial intelligence uh, that can be used for surveillance. And the first problem <clears throat> is one that is really severe right now, but is potentially temporary. And that is if the technology doesn't work as well on uh, on minority groups. Uh, so, you know, right now, the, the technology, as I described earlier, is less good at identifying, uh, it, well, it's, it's best at identifying middle-aged white males. And, and I'm referring to the technology that's deployed in the United States, by the way, and in other countries, it may be different. Um, and that's because when when computer programmers and and designers built the systems, you know, the way they do it is they, 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 they have the computer train itself. They feed it thousands or millions of images. uh, And, and the computer teaches itself to recognize those images. Well, it turns out the data set they used that they plugged into the computer as it was training itself was disproportionately white and male, um, reflecting you know, the biases and experiences of the programmers who designed the system. As a result, the system is better at identifying white male faces than it is at identifying other kinds of faces. Um, its error rates on, uh, on, on, on black people, for example, are, are up to 100 times higher than its error rates on white middle-aged men. It's also less good at identifying women. It's less good at identifying young people. It's less good at identifying older people. Um, but but that type of uh, that type of bias, as as serious as it is, and it is very serious, um, it is one that ultimately in time might be cured. But I think the other thing we have to consider is how the technology is going to be deployed. Because if you take a flawed and biased system in which police resources are devoted disparately towards certain groups, um, uh, you know, in in the United States, uh, this is true of of especially African-American and immigrant communities, that policing is, is disparately oriented towards those communities. If you take this technology 
it's predictable where it's going to be deployed. It's going to be deployed against those same communities that are already subject to government enforcement and over surveillance. And I imagine you have similar communities in India that are disparately subject to policing. And so if you take a technology like facial recognition technology, and it is put in the hands of the same police who are already engaged in biased policing, it doesn't prevent biased policing. It supercharges it. It, it, it takes the, the efficiencies of the technology and amplifies those efficiencies through the bias of the system, of the policymakers, of the police, and, and actually facilitates uh, or, or enhances, in a sense, uh, bias uh, in, in policing rather than alleviating it. The point that you mentioned about error rates and technology is very important. Uh, research is required to, to understand how deployed systems work and what their error rates are. And as the Indian government increases the deployment of facial recognition technology, it is important that we have information about the technology being used, the details of how it has been validated and its error rates. We must also know the composition of the training data sets used in creation of these systems. So before using such technology, it is essential that the authorities and citizens are aware about its reliability. Also, the point of bias mentioned by you uh, regarding the application of technology is very interesting. And I think it's very essential to remember that bias may be something which is inbuilt in the, te in the technology, but there's also the very real issue of bias in application of the technology in terms of who it is primarily being used against. And this becomes important when we deal with the issue of bias and prejudice in application of technology, particularly for surveillance purposes. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, what, one of the things I, I, I like to say about this technology is that it's dangerous when it doesn't work, but it's even more dangerous when it does work. Um, you know, the, the story of Robert Williams is the story of what's wrong with the technology when it doesn't work, when it makes a mistake. But the, the, the longer term and, and the most severe consequences are what happens when it does work. The more efficient this technology becomes, uh, and make no mistake, it, it will get better with time, the more it can be deployed to create a truly uh, uh, terrifying mass surveillance operation. <clears throat> when, when you get to a place, and, and we're already at that place in, in some places like China, where there are, you know, blanket cameras everywhere. And then you layer on top of that a facial recognition technology that can identify each person as they pass by every camera in real time. You know, this facilitates the government being able to track and know the whereabouts of, of, of really everyone everywhere they go. Um, just for example, here in Detroit, we have surveillance cameras that feed directly to the police pointed at healthcare clinics, uh, like clinics where people might go to receive treatment for, uh, for sexually transmitted infections. We have them pointed at public housing facilities. We have them pointed at mental health facilities. We have them pointed at liquor stores. We have them pointed at government buildings. And if you 
if you take the capacity to identify everybody as they come and go uh, from all of these things, the amount of information that can feed to the government, whether or not people are doing anything wrong, is, is, is I think, truly terrifying. I mean, if, if, if like me, you're a little uh, uncomfortable uh, with you know, Google's uncanny ability to know what you've been shopping for, to know where you like to travel... Uh, now imagine that power in the hands of the government because the government knows everywhere you go. And then when you when you take that towards you know thinking about things that uh, that can be of uh, you know concern to governments, identifying protesters uh, in, in in the United States, facial recognition technology has been used to identify people protesting. Uh, against racial injustice, against uh, racially biased policing. Um, it's, it's easy to imagine that being true in most any country, uh, that the government wants to identify dissidents and, and people who oppose its policies. And the deployment of this technology uh, essentially provides that tool to the government. And, and wherever you are, whatever your political context, I, I think that's something that, that should worry all of us. I think what you said is a good response to if you've not done something wrong, then you should not be afraid about the use of this technology. And especially when it comes to protest, the use of such technology certainly creates a chilling effect. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, uh, as you say, it's, it's not just uh, whether or not you've done anything wrong. Uh, you know, suppose you needed to go to the health clinic for a pregnancy test. Do you want the government to know that you might be pregnant? How does that affect? What if you're a government employee who doesn't yet want your employer to know um, that that you're pregnant? Uh, do you want the government to know if you are out shopping for you know a flag or a banner that is unpopular? Um, do you want the government to know what neighbors you're talking to on the street corner um, and, and making assumptions that because you're talking to somebody else who might be of interest to the government that, that you are associated with them. Um, you know, the, the number of the, the amount of information conveyed by our whereabouts uh, conveys information that I think almost everyone, at least everyone I know, doesn't want the government to know about them, whether or not they're, quote, doing anything wrong. And that's to say nothing of the question of what the government decides is doing something wrong may not be what we all agree with, you know, like protests. A protest might be illegal in some sense in some country. That doesn't mean it ought to be illegal um, when people are, are expressing their, uh, their, their right to, to protest, to speak, to express dissent. Absolutely. Now, a common issue with facial recognition technology in India and US has been its use in the absence of any legal framework. And given the impact that it has on rights of people, what are your views on its use in the absence of legislation? In particular, can you discuss the American experience with introducing laws to regulate facial recognition technology and the conversation surrounding it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer that this technology is, is really too dangerous to, to be in the hands uh, and deployed by the government in, in any circumstances. Um, but, but nonetheless, uh, it's certainly made worse by the fact that at least here in the United States, and, and to my knowledge, in most places in the world where this technology is being deployed, 
it's really uh, uh, the Wild West. There is almost no regulation about the permissible use of, of facial recognition technology. And, and the dominant view of, of the legal system as well, if you're walking around, your face is public information. If that's captured and mapped by the government, that's, that's not illegal. Um, there is no national framework uh, here in Michigan where I live. There is no state-level framework for uh, addressing facial recognition technology, no limits on, on how the, the government can use it. Um, here in Detroit, the city where I live, um, there are some modest limits that the police purport to use on, on facial recognition, wh- what cases they'll use it in. Um, but the case of Robert Williams suggests they're not observing even those modest limits. And, and those are self-imposed. They haven't been imposed um, by, a, by a legislature. Um, so it's, it's really, you know, uh, unfortunately, at, at least here in the United States, technology usually gets ahead of regulation and technology companies start approaching law enforcement officials with the latest whiz bang toys and, and the newest, uh, methods of surveillance long before the government gets around to regulating them. And often law enforcement officials start acquiring this technology, uh, quite quietly and, and secretly and deploying it uh, against the citizenry before there's ever been a public discussion of that. And, and that's certainly what's happened um, throughout the United States. Um, I mentioned earlier that everybody in Michigan is, is in the facial recognition database just if they get a, if they get a state-issued photo ID. Um, that's not something people can opt out of. It's not even something people are told about. Um, most, most Michiganders I know uh, don't understand that, that they're already in the facial recognition suspect database uh, just because they got a driver's license. Um, so yeah, it's really, you know, the, the need for regulation, um, if, if we're not going to, to ban or put a moratorium on this technology is, is severe. And, and that's all the more true because it's very difficult to you know, in, in court sometime when you're trying to challenge this technology to understand how the algorithms work or how the technology works. Um, companies claim that it's a trade secret, um, you know, how they've designed their facial recognition technology. Uh, and, and on top of that, like I mentioned earlier, many of these technologies are actually self-taught. What that means is that even the human beings who design the system don't really understand how the computer is doing its identification. They taught the computer how to teach itself, but they don't then know and they can't peer beneath the cover of the black box to figure out what is the computer actually doing. The trajectory of its use is similar in India as well, where it is being used without regulation and the opaqueness which surrounds this technology and its use is also very problematic because it makes it difficult to comprehensively understand all the problems which are associated with this technology. So, Thank you so much for joining us today. This conversation has been extremely insightful and I hope that it encourages more dialogue on the use of facial recognition technology and the impact that it has on the criminal justice system. Thank you. I hope so too. Thank you for having me, Davina. Thank you.